Welcome back to Behind the Screens. I'm Ryan Proventure. And I'm Matthew Liebman. And I'm Simon Burton. Happy New Year, lads. Did you have a good uh, holiday season, Christmas, New Year's, all of that? Terrific. It was great. Nice, relaxing, lots of good movies. Yeah, Ryan, I don't think you saw Daylight over the last two weeks. I I saw a bunch of films and uh, enjoyed enjoyed all of them. It was good to good to get back to the cinema and see some stuff. And I guess um, we don't really care about the Golden Globes, but at least now you're studied up for when the Oscar nominations come out. I am I'm fully prepared. Berto, highlights for you over the break with the family? Uh, yeah, mate, that's about it. Lots of uh, family gatherings, spent some good time with the kids. We actually did get out and see Wonka a few days ago, which was uh, a lot of fun, the kids singing all the songs. It was terrific. Nice. And uh, we've had some sunshine in this part of the world. This time last year, roads were being washed out and houses were sliding down hills from the rain. And uh, I got to put the 50 plus on again. So that's always a plus as well. Although I saw a couple of films over the last weekend. I think Ferrari was the top of my pick. Not a perfect film, but some good performances there. And man, some epic car crashes if you're into that sort of thing. Hey, look, I thought before we kick off and go through the box office, it might be worth just taking a second to look at how we ended up 2023. And all in all, not bad given the the challenges exhibition faced when, you know, the production side of the business and the acting and writing community went out on strike. Globally, the industry grossed just under $34 billion, 33.9 bill. That was 31% up on prior year and still down 15% on the three-year average. So 2017 to 2019, 15% equates to about $6 billion. So still a little room for improvement but not too bad. And then when you break that down into the domestic and international parts of the world, you really do see the impact of the strike. Domestically, the the box office was 9.1 billion, up 21% on prior year, but still 21% below the 2017-19 average. And, And that has a lot to do with those titles shifting and some of those that remained during the, the actor strike in particular, not being able to promote themselves. But when you contrast that to the international market, and particularly when these markets have a domestic industry of consequence, and and frankly, when those domestic industries don't rely on English-speaking Hollywood titles as much, you see a different result. So the best performing part of the world was China. Um, China grossed $7.7 billion, up 83% on prior year, and only 6% down on the pre-pandemic average. The rest of the world, when you take China out of it, uh, was 17.1 billion, up 20% on prior year and 15% down. So in line with the global overall deficit. So it's really the domestic market that's had the toughest time of it. And you can put that down to the number of Hollywood releases and the the implications of the strike. So as we embark on, on 2024, uh, we do know there will be some challenges ahead with the number of titles. That's not to say there won't be some some good performers. And as we said last year, I guess the really heartening thing is that although some of the films have shifted from especially the first half of this year, they aren't going to streaming. We'll get them eventually, be at the back end of the year or coming into 2025. So we just need to be patient. We thought we might take a slightly different approach this week because we've been off a couple of weeks and take the box office in total. And then Ryan and I are going to cherry pick some of the titles that are performing well at the box office where we haven't done an audience breakdown to show some of the highlights there. So let's take the box office first. And Simon, over to you. Can you tell us what's been earning the big bucks at the box office? 
Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, Wonka continues to, to stay at number one in many markets around the world, uh, including domestically this past weekend, taking another $14.4 million, bringing its cube to $164 million. Domestically, another $301 million cube at the international box office, bringing its worldwide total to $466 million. Uh, impressively, over the last couple of weeks, the domestic box office has actually popped up uh, about 20, 22% weekend on weekend, which was really encouraging. Um, the film that opened at the domestic box office this past weekend, Night Swim from Universal, position number two this past weekend, taking $12 million. Another $5.7 million internationally for an opening weekend worldwide total of $18 million. Looking at Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom from Warner Brothers, currently in third position at the domestic box office after three weeks, another $10.6 million and just passing the $100 million mark at the domestic box office. Uh, in comparison to the first one, after 17 days in release, the original had grossed $260 million domestically. So uh, a bit of a ways off, off that result. Internationally, another $234 million for its worldwide QM of $334 million. Taking a look at migration, the animation from Illumination, uh, domestically in fourth position this past weekend, $10.3 million with its domestic QM at $78 million. And it's worldwide QM after three weeks, just ticking over $150 million. Um, impressive result this past weekend for the Sony rom-com Anyone But You uh, in fifth position, but jumping up 9% on its opening weekend at domestic box office to take $9.5 million. Uh, with its domestic QM at $44 million, it's also taken $15 million internationally led by Australia taking a, a big chunk of that $6.6 .6 million after two weeks at the Australian box office. Awesome. Thanks, Simon. So what Ryan and I are going to do now is take some turns diving deep into some of the recent releases. Uh, I'm going to do Night Swim. Uh, Ryan will take you through anyone but you. I'll jump back for Boys in the Boat and then Ryan will, will take you through the colour purple. So looking at this week's new release, Night Swim from Warner Brothers, the most similar titles that we saw are Thanksgiving, The Exorcist Believer, The Nun 2, Saw X, The Boogeyman, Insidious 5, Talk to Me and Silent Night. Now what I'm going to do there is take the aggregate opening weekend audiences for those top four films, the, the top four most similar being Thanksgiving, Exorcist, Nun 2 and Saw X. Um, in terms of recency, as in when did these people come to the theatre last, we're seeing a very high outperformance for Night Swim, which is, isn't that surprising given how recent all of those uh, other releases are. These people are basically going to every horror title. So 27% of the audience had been in the prior week before going to see uh, Night Swim versus 22% for all moviegoers. What we are seeing, though, is that because Night Swim hasn't grossed as much as the other titles, it opened well behind the other benchmark titles except for Thanksgiving, this is a more frequent uh, audience base. So 45% of them attend at least once per month versus 38% for the benchmark. And again, uh, no real surprises given these people seem to come for, for every horror title um, that is available. Linked to this, they are amongst the see it first crowd. 60% of the audience to date went on the opening Thursday or Friday to Night Swim versus 45% for the benchmark. And, you know, this might be 
are just and one of a few indicators that this will be a fast burn title. Uh, the benchmark titles really spiked amongst the 18 to 34 age group. 49% of them were in that category versus 37% for Night Swim, which really does reflect that it has a more uh, looser or lower category of, of classification at PG-13. Uh, Night Swim was marginally more female at 47% versus 44%, and it was significantly less diverse as a, as a title uh, 52% being Caucasian versus 45% for the benchmark titles. I think when you look at the opening here, when you look at the, the profile of the audience and the feedback, uh, it got 25% from the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 44% from the reviewers, and it's got a C cinema score. Uh, this might be a, um, a fairly rapid burn at the box office, um, making way for some of the new releases coming next week. Ryan, why don't I pass the baton to a very different kind of film from horror to rom-com. Anyone but you, is there life in the rom-com audience? Anyone that said the, that rom-coms were dead on arrival needs needs to really look at the movies that have come out recently, whether it's Ticket to Paradise or Lost City. It, it's a, As long as there's a good movie and, and audiences love it, they're going to keep making them. And this is another example. We never, ever see box office go up from one weekend to another. That just doesn't happen, especially in a reasonably crowded marketplace that we're in right now. But the fact that it went up uh, a number of percentage points from one week to, to another really shows that word of mouth. And that's another thing that we don't hear a lot about is in second weeks is word of mouth. People have been talking about this movie. People like this movie. It got a B plus cinema score and 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. This is These are good numbers for it. And the reviews don't matter. At 51%, clearly this isn't affecting the box office. When we looked at some of the audience here, uh, the movies are a little bit interesting here. We have some of the similarities are No Hard Feelings, the most recent Hunger Games, Ticket to Paradise, which makes a lot of sense, Top Gun Maverick because of the, the lead actor in the film, Barbie, Don't Worry Darlings, Priscilla and Wonka. When we looked at the frequency, we thought it'd be interesting to actually compare it to No Hard Feelings. So we had something from the same year. And what we what we saw is that there were a, a lot more infrequent moviegoers when you compare the two at 38% compared to 31% for No Hard Feelings, but pretty close. Occasionals were almost exactly the same at 33 to 32. Frequence, it's the frequent moviegoers that didn't really see this film as much at 24 compared to 32%. And very frequent were 5 to 6%. So you're kind of seeing that people people kind of came back for this film and you can you I think we saw that really on Ticket to Paradise too that maybe this is an audience they we need a little more rom-coms coming out uh, throughout the year and not so spread apart because if we have a few more of them maybe these audiences will continue to come back to the theaters. And what we really saw here was that the audience was was clearly a little bit older. The 25 to 34 was 16% compared to 20 for um, No Hard Feelings. And the 45 to 54 was 17 compared to 16%. So a little bit, a little bit of a, the middle age, you know, middle age, you know, kind of parent audience went to see this. As you'd expect, 63% of the audience was female. Something interesting is 23% of the audience saw the, saw this on a Tuesday showing. So those discount Tuesday showings do help and, and do kind of show that, that people who want to see maybe not so much of the, the indie fair, but just a nice, fun film, Anyone But You was a, 
was a real hit on Tuesdays and something to consider uh, marketing more for in the coming weeks. This film is going to hang in there for a while. Yeah, and I think what really benefited is everyone knew there was Sydney Sweeney, but the real stars, the second Sydney, um, you know, Berto and my hometown. Uh, let's have another shift of gears. The other reason we're jumping around, we've said now um, there is life in, in rom-coms. Um, the other area we've, we've heard, I guess, stereotypes or, or myths about is that older audiences aren't coming back. And I really wanted to jump into The Boys in the Boat based on the, the really well-known um, book of a few years ago, uh, directed by George Clooney and with Joel Edgerton in the lead, to look at this particular segment and, and whether they'll turn out. Now, the most similar audiences for Boys in the Boat were A Man Called Otto, which came out almost a year ago, where the crawdads sing Green Book, The Holdovers, which is the only recent title in this list, followed by Little Women, American Underdog, Downton Abbey, and 1917. Uh, so this is a less frequent audience compared to all moviegoers, every, every film in the database. 74% of those who've seen Boys in the Boat have been five times or fewer in the last six months versus 65% for overall. And only two out of five had been in the prior month versus 66% for the benchmark. Now, this could be chicken and the egg a little bit. You know, they're not showing up because the films aren't there. You could argue that the films aren't being made because of this stereotype that the audience won't show up. But I think when you look at the grosses for, for uh, Boys in the Boat, ticking over $34 million at the moment after a couple of weeks uh, and with a 28% drop-off week on week, I would suggest that there is going to be um, demand for audiences of, of this calibre. When you look at the demographics, no real surprises, but um, even more extreme when I take the benchmark titles uh, of Otto, Crawdads, Green Book and Holdovers. This is an older skewing audience, even compared to our benchmark titles of Otto, Crawdad, Singh, Green Book and The Holdovers, with 64% being aged over 55 compared to 42% for those benchmark titles. It's also decidedly uh, more male uh, at 51% for the benchmark compared to 62% for Boys in the Boat. Not that uh, surprising given it's a, a um, sports film on the eve of World War II. Uh, these older skewing titles that are in the benchmark all lean a little bit um, more Caucasian, a little less diverse, and Boys is no exception with four out of five being Caucasian. Now, when you look at older titles, you start to see some uh, purchasing habits here as well. 73% of people to see Boys in the Boat have gone to sessions that commence before 6pm. And that's against 48% across all movies, not just our benchmark title, all movies. 80% of the benchmark title, so I'm now turning over to Otto, Crawdads, Green Book and Holdovers, those that have pretty much finished their seasons, 80% of them went after the second weekend versus 39% for all totals. And when you look at the 28% week-on-week drop for Boys in the Boat, suggests that it's going to have a longer tail as well. So I guess the advice here is keep this title on, at least for the day sessions, at least for the pre-6pm sessions, because these audiences have a desire to see the film. They don't feel the same sense of urgency as, say, our Night Swim audience. Um, and there will be AM sessions where you can split it with the more grown-up, edgier films uh, and, and play both in the same auditorium if you've got that flexibility. So, Ryan, um, we've got a musical in the market as well. Uh, how did The Colour Purple do? Really, it's done excellent. It opened on Christmas Day to over a little over 18 million, has an A cinema score, really, for a 
I guess you you wouldn't necessarily call it a remake, but for for a for a new film that the original came out 37 years ago, this is a really nice number. It also shows that musicals aren't dead. Wonka is one representation of musicals. The Color Purple is a different one. They both went successful. This is a really really nice uh, box office for Alice Walker's book and Broadway musical that she had out coming uh, years later. What we what we saw as far as the audience is. Uh, really some interesting films here. We have The Woman King, Acrimony, Queen and Slim, The Photograph, Harriet, Medea Family Funeral, Nobody's Fool, and Girl's Trip. So you're obviously seeing the people who saw this. It, it is a it is an African-American audience, and 50% of the audience was African-American. No, no surprise there, really. We did see, when we compared to The Woman King, that, that people did come back to see the color purple at 50% compared to 37% for the woman King and the occasionals was 28% compared to 31%. So a little more, a little more equal there. But what we did see it again is, is the people that are coming back to the cinema for certain events. And this was an event picture for some people and they, they came back for it. We had a, it was a little bit of an older demographic, 35 to 44 was 20% of the audience, 18% for the woman king, and 20% for 45 to 54. So 40% of the audience was was 35 to 54 years old. So that's kind of a sweet spot, middle spot of age range and pretty close to the woman king. We did find that 16% of the audience was both 55 to 64 and 65 and older. So um, 32% of the audience was 55 and older. So you are seeing, again, a little bit of the middle, a little bit of the older. I think this is an audience that, as far as marketing goes, you really want to you really want to hit the older demographic. The people who, who probably read this book when it came out, maybe saw it on Broadway or know about it on Broadway, um, it, it's got it's got some Oscar buzz around it. We do have Martin Luther King Day coming up, so there can be that push to bring out audiences on that specific day. Hopefully, there's a lot of sort of marketing tools that you can do here. This is a this is a film that hopefully has a little more legs over the next couple of weeks as we get into Oscar nominations at the end of the month. That's great. So as we look at the box office, uh, you know there is a diversity of titles. There mightn't be. Uh, any single blockbuster, but we have your horror crowd. We've still got a number of family titles out there. There are some that are skewing to older people, some that are skewing to different uh, diverse groups of, of cinema goers. I think the the tip here is to to really start segmenting and being tailored in your communications and your marketing. This is not a one size fits all email blast week. Not that we would ever say it is, but it's certainly more granular this week than it is in many. Yeah, targeting is incredibly important this time of year. There's because there's something for everybody, and make sure those people know the films that are right for them that are coming out. Yeah, and Simon, looking ahead, it's only going to get busier at the box office. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to see anything coming out next week that hits the top ten of the year, but there's certainly a number of titles for people who want something uh, to go and and see in the theater. What's coming out? You don't think Beekeeper with Jason Statham will be in the top ten box office films of the year, Matt? No, but I'm pretty sure it's going to hit my top 10. Mm, no, you're right. Neither do I. Um, yeah, looking ahead next week, uh, releasing on the 12th of January, Mean Girls from Paramount, Beekeeper from MGM, and The Book of Clarence from Sony, as well as Soul from Disney getting a theatrical release this weekend. That's going to be interesting. Um, I think it's going to be the first of 
is it the three director streaming Pixar titles they're going to try and give some some theatrical space to? I guess this is um, you know maybe strike uh, strike respondent or or a response to the strike, and I guess in some ways not that different from watching some of the streaming services put their their um, streaming content on the networks. You know um, I know over in the US at the moment you've been able to see Yellowstone on. Uh, CBS after Paramount Plus, and there've been some other moves there. I guess in some ways this feels a little like a parallel to that. It'd be interesting to see what sort of traction it gets, and whether it helps to to right the ship for for animation, which has taken a little bit of a hit uh, since the the pandemic and the strikes and some of the, the straight to streaming moves. Uh, interesting also that there there have been a you know a number of high profile musicals and very different ones when you line up Wonka to Mean Girls to The Color Purple. Uh, maybe a little bit of a renaissance there as well. Gentlemen, it's great to have you back. Here's to another big year behind the screens. And thank you for everyone joining us uh, for the first one of the year. We look forward to talking movies with you and audiences uh, throughout 2024. All the best. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, the world-leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow Movio, Numero and Vista Group on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Screens podcast is produced by Grace Furness and edited by Patrick Hanna.